it was actually really daunting, I would say, for the first few months. You get up in a machine and it's so different. Um, and it was the one thing that I was really looking forward to. It was the one thing I always wanted to do was to fly and to go mastering again. And uh, I got there and it was hard. It was bloody hard work. It was confronting. And I thought, oh, God, this is the only thing I've ever really, really wanted to do. And I'm no good at it. Firstly, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, LAWD. LAWD are specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. You can find out more at their website or in the show notes, www.lawd.com.au. G'day and welcome to episode 54 of the Humans of Ag podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve. Today, I'm very excited to be doing a podcast face-to-face, which who would have thought 61 episodes later, I actually haven't done that many with people in the same room. So, Is that right? There you go. It is. And that's that's the voice. He's a man of mystery who, for the, all in the past decade, has found himself at home in the air working in some of the most remote places in Australia. It's been the off-season or wet season, collecting crocodile eggs and even a bit of a stint as an underground miner. If you aren't aware of Munro Hardy, by the time this chat finishes, you'll have a bit of insight into what drew him from Western Victoria to the vast expanses of the north, and now how he finds himself with just the tiniest glimpse of Sydney Harbour from his home in Potts Point. <laughs> Point Piper, sorry. Point Piper, that's Jeez, it. Yeah, yeah. I better get that right. Welcome, Munro. It's good to have you. Thanks, Ali. Yeah, it's great to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. Mate, I... um. It's taken a bit. I reckon you first came on my radar, geez, early last year. Uh, I think you you weren't long in into the job at AgriWeb and in Sydney. And uh, yeah, I was like, I, I want to have a yarn to him. But even the last few weeks, you, you don't sit still in one place too long. No, not for long. I think uh, that lockdown's probably the longest spot I, uh, or longest time I have spent in one spot. Uh, since then, since October, November, we've been back on the road quite a bit. Um, even this year, I've probably been on the road two, nearly three months now. It's been fantastic. Love it. Mate, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's so, been fun. Do you, do you miss like, living up, up in Northern Australia or are you pretty happy? Um, it's a good question. I get that a lot. I do. Certainly do miss it. Um, but it's an adventure down here too. I tell you what, moving to Sydney, um, last year that lockdown was pretty quiet. But once we could get out and about and the pubs were open again, it was a bit of a, a social scene for a few months. But, um, yeah, and no, I certainly miss the lifestyle up there. Um, I forever was moving around doing what I was doing as well, contracting, contract mastering, uh, and then flying. Used to cover a bit of country doing that. But, um, yeah, now being in one spot here in Sydney as well, in the office, um, I still get that opportunity to, to, to cover a bit of country now. Yeah, it's not bad. I, I suppose I'll, I want to jump back. So you're a boy from the Wimmera in uh, in Western Victoria. So you you were a farm kid growing up. Was farming always on the cards? And, and did you think you saw yourself there uh, in in that little pocket of the world um yeah i did i loved it i loved growing up at home we're in the in the west women over on the the south australian border um and then went to school boarding school in melbourne for four years but i was pretty actively encouraged not to get into agriculture funnily enough not to get into farming and i think the conversation around ag back then um or in our age group and as i understood it was agriculture to be in agriculture meant you were a farmer um, and so I think that's why we were steered clear of it. Um, but I loved it more than anything else, and that is all I really wanted to do, but I wanted to explore more and find out what options were available for me. took a long time to, to sort of nail down what I did want to do, um, and so that's probably what drew me up north, I think, eventually, was um, 
chasing down different opportunities, seeing what else was available and uh, what it held in store for me anyway. Yeah, nice. And, and was that, like, was the path go up north, uh, do the do the right thing, keep people happy back at home and steer clear of, I suppose, the, the farming that happens down there, go and have a gap year or, or a few and, and then ultimately come back farming? Or, or did you think you actually listened to those people saying steer clear of ag and and kind of don't come back here um no it was it was always on the cards to come back um and i'd never planned to be away longer than 12 months though i didn't really know i didn't have a solid plan in place at that time um and i just wanted to see as much as i could within that first 12 months while i was away before going to uni up in armadale mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd lined up a uni course already in uh ag business and just wanted to fit in as much as I could up north. So I, I sort of moved from northern Queensland over to the Territory and then sort of by the end of the year um, went down the west coast and slowly made my way back home. Um, but I, I just hadn't seen enough. I hadn't got it out of my system yet. By the time I got to uni, I, I did 18 months there and all I could think about was the north and I, I just that experience that I'd already had and just wanted to keep going and see more of it. Um, so I eventually ended up up there for another three weeks of mid-year uni holidays and and that was it for me i didn't get back to uni <laughs> i um i tried to do it externally but we didn't have any any connection where i was so i deferred for six months and still intended to pick it up at the end of that but um yeah come that wet season i uh i took a job i think over in Broome that year with a with a pearling company with past paley so i got on the pearl boats for the wet season um which was interesting and then back to Darwin following that wet and I was back into it again for the next season, next round, next muster. Um, and uni was a thing of the past. Yeah, it, it became that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm interested on, uh, I suppose just, yeah, so before you went up north and then even your time up there, why is Northern Australia so special? Well, I didn't know. I, um, I suppose my visions and, and expectations came from people like Slim Dusty and Banjo Patterson. They were big influences, loved that growing up. Um, Mick Dundee, the other one. That was all I knew of the Territory. That's what I, I thought to expect. Um, and then, oh, of course, there were a couple of guys in school a few years ahead of me who'd been up north and they'd been jackarooing. And, you know, I'd heard all their stories and, and how wild it was, wild cattle up there and wild wild ringing stories and wanted to go and see that. So that's what it was for me. It was just wide open spaces, stock camps, um, living out in camp for months and um, working with cattle and that was the other thing that was different for me I'd, I'd grown up on a sheep property so I always wanted to work with cattle and, and see what that was about um, and so yeah that what all I knew of the territory was it was a pretty wild place How did that, how did the perspective change once you got up there and started to meet some of the characters the, the Mick, Mundi, Mick Dundees of the world uh, Well to be honest mate it probably didn't change that much it was a wild place um, First job on a, on a cattle place was up in Oh, well, actually, there was southern Queensland there for a few weeks, um, just for a yard building contract. But then that took me right up to Rotham Park following that. Um, that was when Aoko still had it uh, and sold to Great Southern. So I was only there for a few months, and that's what sort of brought me across to the Territory. But um, it was wild country up there, up in the Cape or, or the Gulf there. Um, and it was exactly sort of what I'd wanted to see. You know, as young people working in stock camp, working hard out in camp all the time, wild cattle. Um, and that's when I was sort of first introduced to choppers as well, um, seeing choppers involved in, in mustering. Um, but then came across to the Territory and again worked on another place out on the, the floodplains east of Darwin. Um, 
and that's sort of when I started to get involved with crocodiles and developing a fascination with them and just absolutely loved it. Yeah, tell me tell me more about the, the croc side of the world. Um, oh, well, up there, that's that's one of the most densely populated areas in the world for saltwater crocs, east of Darwin on the, on the Mary and, and Adelaide rivers. Um, and we had a bit of country that was covering both sides of the Mary River, um, of the saltwater side and then just on the freshwater as well, so where the barrage is there on, on, on the Mary. And it was just crocodile country, crocodile city there. Um, male crocodiles everywhere, like as, as far as you can see down the river, you'd, you'd spot crocodiles on every bank. It was amazing. Yeah, wow. Um, but just, I mean, we lost a lot of cattle to them, so there was always someone around who was looking to catch those crocodiles, relocate them. Um, plenty of problem crocs. And so that's, I guess, when I first started to dip into that. Um, and it wasn't for years following that that I actually I worked with a mate of mine, Matty Wright, up there, who's running tours now. But he, again, was he was mustering for years, I think, with, with NIH. And when I first met him up at Rotham Park... Um, he was mustering for them and then sort of we touched base again years later up in Darwin and then that's sort of how I got involved in that side of things. It was just a, a wet season job again, just a seasonal thing. Matty needed a bloke so I gave him a hand for a few months and and um, ended up flying for him for a couple of years as well. Can can you run me through it a bit more? So, you, like I've seen, obviously Matt Wright, the Outbacker Angler, uh, <laughs> I've seen, seen the videos. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported? Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. It is um, choppers flying in crop cages into remote areas and then... Yeah, a couple of blokes jumping on top of them to, to relocate them. Is is that the world that you lived and breathed for that uh, wet season? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was um, oh, there were a couple of seasons doing it, but I started with him when he was actually filming, so I was just giving him a hand in the background, just running gear around and running traps, and, yeah, right. and the boys were on camera all the time. Um, so it was a bloody exciting time for me being involved in that. Uh, and I wasn't actually flying then at the time either. And so, yeah, for me, it was just carting gear to pretty remote locations at the time. Um, and then, yeah, just watching the boys doing exactly that, like launching on crocodiles and, and taping down, tying them up, moving them. Um, we set a few pens for them as well. Do we need to have a, a few words to him? Now you obviously, podcast is basically the new radio, but he obviously didn't back you that you had, had the face for TV. Oh, no way, mate. No, <laughs> he's the face of that. <laughs> Oh jeez, uh, and and so I suppose yeah, jumping around with your the different jobs you did. So you mentioned the, the pearling boats. It, it wasn't purely just working in northern Australia and just going right. Agriculture's the be all and end all. It was these different bespoke industries which popped up and 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 were all part of it. What were the things that I, that you've taken now with you in your career, but from these different out of agriculture industries and are helping you out today? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be involved in, in 
the cattle side of things and see as much of that industry as I could. So from sort of growing operations, breeder breeder operations through to sort of backgrounding on the floodplains up there. I worked in export yards, quarantine yards, and then a couple of voyages overseas as well. Um, and so those wet season jobs were just a fill-in thing. A lot of guys that worked up there in the stock camps um, for the dry season would take that time off over the wet, go and do something else and, and often down south. But I tried to stay up there as much as I could and just see more of it and what opportunities there were. Um, but I think, I guess, for that is is more of a a people side of things, maybe networking or maybe just getting exposure to different things uh, and how open people are to that. Um, you know, often in the year when you're in stock camp, you probably don't do that. You work with only the guys that are in your camp. Whereas that wet season is an opportunity to put yourself out there and say, hey, what's available? And it is amazing, I think, what I've taken away from that is how many people will actually be willing to help you do that um, are, are very approachable. Whereas, you know, I guess if you don't have that experience and, and uh, moving around, it can be a bit intimidating going to other people and putting yourself forward. Um, but, yeah, just the learnings of that, of, of how many people are actually willing to help you do that. And it sounds like you're pretty calculated. Would, would you say there was method to the madness up there or was it really this is just who you were and, and that was, yeah, you enjoyed meeting people or was there a bit of a yeah, method behind behind it all? Um, no, I think there wasn't that much of a method to those uh, wet season gigs, to be honest. Uh, dry season stuff, certainly, yep. I, I just wanted to get as much experience as I could on the ground, sort of working up from a, a jackaroo or a ringer in the camp through to a head stockman and then... Um, just have enough experience to be able to jump in a chopper and, and then go flying. Because I'd always been told up there, if you want to be a pilot, you know, you've got to work your way up to at least four or five years on the ground, become a head stockman so you know how to how to work with a camp and work with men um, or a team, team of guys and girls. Um, and then, you know, you're the decision maker as a pilot, which which is very true. Once you're, back at, once you're up in the air, um, you are making the calls. You, you sort of... You're working with a head stockman on the ground to make decisions of where you're going to be taking cattle. So it is—it's very important, I think, to have that experience on the ground. Um, and that—that yeah, that was my focus, I think, for for years was just to get that experience under the belt. Just to get to the seat of the chopper. How, how much did the the learnings, or yeah, what learnings did it go from being on the ground to I suppose having this fascination of there's there's a bloke in the sky and it's it, it's Maddie who you you know and have a beer with to actually I suppose that level of responsibility of when you are that guy in the seat and you're responsible for all those people on the ground and their safety with where you put animals how, how quickly did i suppose you you grow up uh, as a person um oh look it was a really funny thing stepping into flying um i think when you when you spend all that time on the ground you do get that experience you get that skill set and i think you become more confident um getting into a chopper is a completely different world again it's like starting from scratch you're so green um it's just a different world from up top and I think you know it took me months to get my head around it. it took me three to six months I think to be to be confident in the machine and it was actually really daunting I would say for the first few months you get up in a machine and it's so different um and it was the one thing that I was really looking forward to is the one thing I always wanted to do was to fly and to go mastering again and uh I got there and it was hard it was bloody hard work it was confronting and I thought oh god this is the only thing I've ever really really wanted to do and I'm no good at it what am I going to do? And I, anyway, you stick with it for the season. And took a few months, three to six months to get into it. But then there's a point where it all just clicks. Everything sort of all the scale, the size of the area, the distances you got to cover, it just clicks. 
Um, and then, yeah, you're away. It was amazing. It was like turning on a light bulb and then away we went. It was good. But. Did you ever think of walking away? Um, no, mate, walking away wasn't ever an option. I know that I had to push through it and, and make it work, but it just, you know, it was a it was a blow to the confidence to get up there and, and think, God, how do we uh, how do we get past this? But um, no, eventually it, it all came together and it was fine. Do you do you still get the same buzz when you're in a chopper now as what you did those kind of first first few hours by yourself and and yeah taking responsibility of the team? Um, yeah, first few hours, I'll never forget. Um, first solo flight was just incredible. Um, you're looking next to and you're going, shit, where's he gone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the way you fly is totally different. Um, you've got no weight left in the front, so your tail sits back a lot, your bubbles right up forward, and when you take off, it's bloody frightening the first time. But um, machine flies completely differently. But, um, yeah, I, I do miss it, certainly. And occasionally when we do get back up north, I, I cross iron machine or something and take a few boys fishing, and, yeah, you never get it out of you. I think you're, you're always going to love it. Sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then your career, like you, to get actually get into flying, you stepped out of agriculture and, and went underground for a while, joined, joined uh, the, the mining team up north and yeah, spent, spent your days or, or nights, 12 hours of it anyway, underground doing that. Like in hindsight, were you happy with that sacrifice or do you think ultimately there were, there were other ways to get your seat in, in the chopper that you may have preferred or, or have done differently in hindsight? That's a very good question. Um, Look, it was a, it was a an exciting experience. Definitely wasn't a career move. Um, it was just meant to be a, a cash grab, a cash grab, and and put some money together for my license. Um, but it turned out to be pretty hard. Like there are a lot of stepping stones in that mining camp to to get through before you're actually earning that good money. So it didn't get me that far anyway. Yeah, right. Um, How long were you in there for? Oh, look, that first stint might have been just under a year. Okay, I reckon. Yeah. Um, but I was I was doing two weeks off, uh, sorry, two weeks on and a week off, at the time. Um, and I had a room up in Darwin, had all my gear up there, so I'd I'd float down, do a week of night shift, then a week of day shift, back to Darwin, drop off my mining gear, chuck that in the wash, and grab another bag and head back out bush. And I was contracting, um, sort of east of Darwin again. Uh, it's just contract fencing and, and mustering out there, short term, small jobs. Um, which was good, kept me going, kept me involved and, and kept me excited about, you know, working in the bush and working with cattle still. Um, and then, yeah, following that, I got an opportunity to step into construction with a with a gas plant up in Darwin, which is where the big money was. And that was that sort of enabled me to put my money together to go and do that, that chopper licence. So it was four weeks on, one week off. And that week off, I was flying down to the sunny coast to go and go and do my license. I'd probably do, I don't know, half a dozen hours in that week off, maybe 10 hours in a week. Um, so I got the theory done and then, then um, yeah, up to about 70 hours, I suppose, I had under my belt there. And then came back up to Darwin. That's where I started working in tourism with Maddie and uh, finished my hours there before doing my commercial and then spent a few years flying around uh, flying around Darwin and, and southwest of there. Yeah, right. Down the floodplains. Just giving people the, uh, and on your left, you'll see the, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I know you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't quite that sort of tourism. Um, it, it was a bloody wild tour. It was great fun. We had airboats and houseboats and fishing and, and all sorts of stuff. It wasn't a, yeah. 
It sounds like your twenties weren't a bad time. I was going to ask a question around. So nowadays, I think we hear a lot of people talking about burnout. Um, it sounds like you were just going flat knacker there for three, four, five years, just just chasing what that dream was of flying choppers and being yeah responsible for mustering cattle from the air. Did burnout ever come in into the equation? Did you ever get yourself down and out? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Um, it was just so exciting. It was such fun up there that every day was an adventure and you always get out of bed and you never knew what was coming. Um, and yeah, that's, it was just easy to keep going. It wasn't like a job. It wasn't an effort. It was just, it was, you know, people say don't work to live. Which way does that work? Don't, don't work to live, live to work. Vice versa. Nah, don't live to work, work to live. That's what it is. Yeah. I've always thought that though, if, if you can make work that good that it is your life, why not? And it was, it, it was just, you know, if you had a day off, I'd want to be doing that stuff anyway. Yeah. Because it was that much fun. Um, it was great. But I think, um, speaking of burnout though, now I've been in Sydney for 18 months and it's a huge topic through COVID. Everyone's been talking about this burnout. Mm. Um, and I've never really known known what that is. I've never seen anyone with it. In my workplace, it's never been a thing. Um, but it, it's very real, I think. A lot of people have been experiencing it in the last six months probably. Um, and I don't think I'll get there, but you know, in this sort of world, in this sort of job, I, I can imagine or, or see why it would be real. Because yeah. here is go go go, like it's a it's a very busy, fast paced world down here in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose you just don't get to do those things. Well, I do now with my job. I get to travel a bit, but hey, buddy, days off in your hire a chopper and just go fishing. It yeah, so, sounds terrible. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think I'm right. In terms of and I think it's probably a pretty good conduit. So coming back to Sydney, the thought process, so you, you met your partner up in Darwin and yeah, nearly had your life set up up there. Was it a, was the choice to come to Sydney, was it out of not, just not fueling, I suppose, the ambition of what you knew you could do and what you were capable of? Was it, yeah, you kind of hit, hit a bit of a plateau? Yeah, yeah, yep. That's a good way of describing it. Absolutely. Um, my grandma used to always say, "Opportunity knocks but once," and so I've always launched that opportunity as much as I can. Whatever was in front of me, I'd sort of try and grab hold of it and take advantage of it. And uh, yeah, when I discovered AgriWeb, I just you know it really struck me as something that this is where I can actually have a, a bigger impact on the industry now with with a company like AgriWeb rather than. You know, everything I've done in the past, I've really enjoyed doing. It's been a great personal experience. But growth-wise and impact-wise, it's sort of only impacted on individuals or an individual business or company. Whereas what I'm doing now, I think, can have a, a much bigger impact on a, on a whole industry, industry-wide, rather than just individual businesses, which, which is exciting. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I want to jump into that. And maybe I will. I'll jump straight into it. So the the piece you just mentioned there, opportunity knocks once. Knocks but once, yeah, yeah. Opportunity knocks but once. So that do you look back on your 10, 15 years out of school now and and think, shit, well, there was incredible junctions that I came to that I missed? Or have you got any regrets, I suppose, is what I'm trying to allude to? Yeah, not at all. No. Um, no, I don't think I've missed any opportunities that, especially in what I wanted to do, the way I wanted to see things. Um, and it's come to a point now, I think, you know, 15 years, or not quite 15 years up there, but 
um, I've seen as much as I could and, and experienced as many different parts of the industry as I could. And, you know, now I'm, I'm just working out a direction where I go now, which which is a funny part. Um, you know, I, I see the opportunity for myself, probably more down south here, where I can have that impact and um, work at a bigger scale, whereas... I think up north my opportunity would be individual sort of impact again if I can word it like that, if that makes sense. Um, and, yeah, the 18 months down here, you know, it's opening my eyes to opportunities that exist that I, I never knew previously existed, especially for the sort of work that I've been doing. But, um, you know, finding that people see that experience is really valuable um, to have industry-wide experience uh, and... Yeah, I, I suppose initially I just thought down here would not be a world for me, but instead it's actually the opposite. There's there's a lot of people, there's a lot of open doors here, a lot of networking, um, and a lot of great people that are willing to support you as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I think it goes back to like the, the school days and, and that advice you got around agriculture, and it was that ag's farming, but once you come into the cities and you see the different people, and you only need to go to a couple of events and it's a question I want to ask you around AgriWeb. The, the journey into AgriWeb itself was uh, a story of its own through your cousin Hannah, but uh, just jumping straight into you walk in the door of AgriWeb, you know only a little bit about the company. Tell me about the people when, when you walked in the door and who you saw sitting in the room. Yeah, well, um, I didn't quite know what to expect. It's um, yeah, Getting there, it was a big, wide, open-planned office space. Um which is amazing and, and the people the first day I walked in there I think every single person stood up from their desk and came and introduced themselves and shook hands which was magnificent but my first day I guess I met um, Will Bruce who was country manager at the time and John Farger and we went for a coffee next door and I thought my value to the company was going to be sort of taking this to the north um, and that's where I wanted to sort of add my value and they were magnificent like they gave me the time to sit down and, and talk about my value, what, what my experience was in the past um, and where I could sort of fit in into the company. And then after that meeting, I think an hour sitting down with them, my focus was changed already, like listening to their vision of the company um, and, and where they wanted to take things and how they can add value to uh, the industry and, and community as well was just mind-blowing. And I thought, wow, this is a company I want to be a part of. And... Yeah, it blew me away. I wasn't expecting that at all. I thought it was just going to be another job and, and something that where I could take this back to the Territory. But um, now it's become so much more than that because of the people. We've got such a young and passionate crew there who all really want to make a difference, which is fantastic. I think everyone's got some degree of background in ag. Um, and now even our development team, you know, they're, they're out on site and meeting customers and, and talking to farmers all the time. Um, and they all want to know the people they're working with. And it's not just develop a product and, and sell it it's it's really understanding our customers and um and what their pain points are and, and how we can help solve them and, and you've mentioned a couple of times around having impact and, and i suppose i want to ask around the purpose piece and so you've gone from being very much doing things that you enjoyed and, and it had a direct outcome or benefit to yourself or the businesses you're working with what was it that they articulated and i suppose it, whether it's at AgriWeb as a business itself or as an industry kind of wholly that that really like click the switch and, and you bought in to where they want to take this and what the opportunity is. 
what yeah. is that opportunity? Well, they, they talk about, you know, um, worldwide targets. By 2050, we're going to have 9.7 billion people on the planet. And how are we going to feed them? You know, we, we're probably we're struggling to meet demand now, and that's why we're seeing prices rocketing at the moment all around the world. Um, and so essentially, Agarab's mission is to be able to or enable our producers to do more with less, make them enable them to be more productive with what they've got. So, um, you know, whether that's just knowing their numbers or, or even if we're talking into the carbon space, um, how can they become more profitable with the assets that they've got um, and and more productive, producing more more animals and, and more or whatever product they are producing? How do we do more of that and put more back in their pot, in, into their pocket? Um and I guess that was that was a big turning point for me, where I thought it was just a management tool that was going to enable farmers to keep track of their cattle. Where it's it's now it's so much more. It's actually connecting people right through the supply chain. From you know, we, our first value is to live for the farmer, live for the producer. Um, but now we've got a system where we can connect that producer with the next link in the chain in, the, in that supply chain. Um, which in turn, hopefully, again, we'll, we'll be doing more for the producer and be able to earn them a premium as well. Um, so, yeah, I think looking at a larger industry sort of scale rather than just your producers, if we can increase productivity by 1%, 2%, 3% of our producers, you know, it, if you look at that across the country, that's going a long way to, to meeting demands and, and taking us further into the future. And uh, hopefully we can just do more and more of that. Absolutely, and I suppose for you personally, what's your why? What, what, why are you involved in agriculture? Why in ag? Um, yeah, look, I mean, I loved it from a young age, just growing up on the farm at home. Um, but I think there's so many aspects in ag now, particularly in the last couple of years, just meeting different people in the industry. Um, and I think we were saying this before, that it's a very unique industry where people are very interested in your story where you come from because everyone's got a different story and they all fit in somewhere differently um but i compare that to any other industry and i wonder how that sort of compares at all when you know other industries there's i think in my experience there's so much more in it for themselves and they're in it for profit and in it for, in it for um you know one reason whereas ag is so much more inclusive um whether you're talking to farmers or anyone through through the processes they all still want to know your story and and your value um and i, I think it's just a people thing for me um how else do you describe that yeah um yeah just the characters in the industry i think that's that's what keeps me going i mean i can't walk away from it. it's just too many good people and too many good experiences and, and it's a good conduit so let's say you're down the road here at uh, at one of the eastern suburbs boys' schools or girls' schools, it's they've probably got zero exposure to agriculture. They don't realise kind of what happens beyond the farm gate of statistics or anything to go off. You're sitting there and you've got two hundred year tens in front of you, and you want to talk about careers, and you want to talk about careers in agriculture. What would be your advice to them? Is this that curly question you're talking about? <laughs> no, mate. There's no curly questions. You can take this one any way you want. Um, yeah, look, actually, that's pretty interesting too. I, I've chatted a couple of times with school kids. I jumped on that year thirteen um, expo last year, and as part of this 
um, Territory Cattlemen's Association leadership program we're doing where we're actually speaking with kids as well throughout the Territory. Um, and, yeah, I mean, for me, a number of things is probably to go and explore it as much as you can. Um, at that stage, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be in ag. Um, I was encouraged not to get into ag, and I was told I couldn't be a pilot. Um, and so <laughs> if you do want to do those things, don't let people tell you that you can't. There's so many opportunities out there. Um, and, I mean, I'm a, I'm a prime example of it. And people want to help front up, be bold, introduce yourself, um, ask questions. There's no wrong questions, there's no stupid questions. Um, yeah, chase what you want to do. And on, on the back of that, I don't think this is a curly question either, but maybe it is. Only if you're trying to get philosophical. And um, In terms of the best piece of advice you've been given by someone at some stage throughout your life that, Oh, not even not even the best. Let's just go to the first piece of advice that comes to mind. First piece. Um, well, when I was heading north, I was told a couple of things by a couple of people, actually, was uh, if someone asks you to open a gate, run to it. And the second was if someone asked if you can ride a horse, say anything but yes, which that was a good bit of advice because... <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh. <laughs> I feel like we should have got to this at the start. Yeah, mate. I um, I had ridden when I was a pup, but, you know, when I went up north, I didn't know a horse's head from its behind. And anyway, that was the theory that if you got up north and you're a bit cocky and said, oh, I can ride a horse, and they'll throw you on the, on the roughest bucking horse they got in the, in the camp. And uh, so, yeah, my first day, I, I said, oh, no, no, I can't ride. So luckily then I was put on a very steady horse. Um, but made the mistake one day of of picking the the wrong horse, and yeah, it uh, it bucked and bucked all day long. It probably spat me about six times. But following that, I reckon, um, yeah, Wildy one day. This is what happened. Following that, um, Wildy had a horse who was my head stockman at the time, and he had um, I forget its name. But it hadn't been ridden all year. And the day he pulled it on, it bucked and bucked and bucked and did not stop. And I remember him coming past one day trying to just push some wieners back into the mob. He was bucking, pig rooting all the way past me and he was laughing his head off and he said, Munro, I'll give you one of these horses next time. So hopefully you pick this as your wrong horse and then I'll be bucking all day. He stitched you up. Well, he, he could have very easily stitched me up, but he didn't, thankfully. Um, and if he had or if I'd turned up there and said that, yeah, I can ride a horse. He might have given me one of those ones and I'd just have been buggered for a week and he wouldn't ease up on me, I don't think. <laughs> um, have you got any questions for me? Well, I was just actually thinking the other bit of advice there that I was given. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, was if you don't know what you want to do, if you can't work that out, write a list down. Write a list of all the things that you're interested in and cross them off one by one by one. And I think I did that over the years pretty well. Um, all those different parts of the cattle industry that I wanted to see I'd written down I said oh, I want to work in an export yard I want to do some voyages overseas I want to see every link in this sort of chain and see where I fit into the industry um, and I've crossed them off one by one and I tell you what working for a tech company in Sydney was never on the list but here we are and are there things what else is still on that list or, or what have you added to that list through the people you've met over the last few years oh look I haven't pulled the list out for a while actually to be honest but not a podcast, was I? <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't on the list either. 
Um, no, mate, to be honest, I uh, I probably need to think about that again. But where I am at the moment, I think is probably the best spot for me. Um, it's been a great experience, been a great learning curve over the past couple of years with AgriWeb. Um, I keep saying that I reckon in the last 12 months I've learned more than I did in six years. Um, just being thrown in a completely different world, it's all full of our tech stacks and working in an office and having a computer and, and all that is uh, is totally different. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting. So don't ever write things off? No, no, exactly. No, take it as it comes and opportunity knocks but once. Absolutely. Well, mate, thank you very much for joining the Humans of Ag podcast. It's been a while in the making, but it was bloody good to have you on. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Good Cheers. chatting.